Listener Production. A mysterious new drug has surfaced, and we don't know its effects or how dangerous it is. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing, a podcast about the science of everything. Pill testing is for those who choose to take illegal drugs and want a better idea of what they're actually taking. And in Australia, it's growing fast. It's at music festivals, you can buy kits online, and now we have an entire clinic dedicated to it. Today, Cosmos Magazine journalist Ellen Fidian takes us inside Australia's first pill testing clinic, and we learn the truth about this new mystery drug. Okay, Ellen, so before we get into what this mystery substance is, tell us more about this pill testing clinic. Like, where is it? What are they doing there? It's a place called CanTest. It's the first health and drug checking facility in the country. It was put into place by the ACT government, and there are a number of scientists from the Australian National University, or the ANU, who give advice to the clinic and do some of the technical work there. It's a trial. It's only been open for a few months. It opened in July this year. And what happens basically is that people bring in substances to be tested. What they found recently was that a new substance popped up. So someone brought this thing into the clinic and the people at CanTest put it through a number of tests to try and figure out exactly what it was. I have a feeling we're going to dive into some pretty deep chemistry here, which is great because it's right up your alley. Can you run us through these tests? I mean, what are they? You're not wrong. We're going to get real chemical. I'm very excited. (laughs) Um, So pill testing is very, very heavy on chemistry. There are going to be some long words coming up. Love it. Into it. Let's do it. There are a number of techniques that you can try and do to figure out what a substance is going to be. Sometimes it's basically like a magic box that tells you, yep, this is definitely this. It's often a lot more complicated than that. I'm going to talk about three of the ones that they're doing at this clinic. The first is something called Fourier transform infrared spectroscopy. So the infrared spectroscopy part is the important part there. So it's basically this device sort of about the size and shape of a microscope, and it can generate information and results pretty much immediately about the substance and the structure of the substance. So that's one of the things that's quite useful about it. Yeah. What they do is they drop a very small amount of the sample onto a plate, like a few milligrams. And then they shine infrared light through the sample. And this will generate a graph. And that graph is basically a unique or a pretty much unique signature for the compound. Mm -hmm. If it's a pure sample, they can match it against this database of 30,000 other known compounds. If they find a graph that matches, then they can usually figure out what it is. Right. Okay. But when they did this at CanTest with this new substance, they came up with nothing. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah. (laughs) So then they hopped on to the next method. So this is a technique called ultra-high performance liquid chromatography with photodiode array. Yeah, so that sure is a mouthful. Uh, Ellen, you weren't joking about these names. They are ridiculous. Yep. (laughs) That's chemistry for you. (laughs) Again, the important word here is chromatography. So it's a fairly common chemical technique. This is a device. It kind of looks like a big computer tower with a few tubes coming in and out of it. It takes about four or five minutes to give you information on a substance, so it's still pretty quick, but it's a little bit longer. Sure. They dissolve a small amount of the sample in a liquid, and then they pump it through this machine, through these tubes. Depending on the properties, different substances will take different amounts of time to get through the machine. 
So it's really, really good for separating mixtures because if you've got a mixture of stuff, different things in that mixture are going to come through at different times. Mm -hmm. It also, like the infrared spectroscopy, will generate this graph for you at the end. And that graph, you can compare it to other known samples and say, well, it might be this or it might be this. Okay. They use this technique at CanTest as well. Still didn't get a nice match. Okay. So that's bummer number two, I'm presuming. Yes. The last technique I want to mention is another type of spectroscopy. This one's called ultraviolet spectroscopy. So it uses UV light instead of infrared. Very, very similar technique to the infrared thing, basically shining UV light through it. These machines are also pretty quick and easy to run, and they can tell you, again, a little bit about the purity. They can identify some already known substances. They can't identify something completely new or out of the ordinary, so it wasn't super useful with this new substance except that it told them that they really don't know what this thing is. Right. So at that point, CanTest had run out of all of their options for figuring out what the substance was. So they told the person who brought it in that it was a mystery. Then some of the researchers, the ANU researchers at CanTest, took it back to their labs at ANU so they could use some more elaborate methods to figure out what it was. Okay, Ellen, this whole thing is quite a process. Like I didn't actually realize trying to figure out what a substance is has to go through so many different processes. The ANU people take it back to the lab and then what do they do? So they've got a bunch of different techniques up their sleeve. The biggest gun is a thing called nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy. So it's really, really good at figuring out the structure of new compounds. One of the researchers I spoke to for this referred to it as a book of runes, <laughs> which I think is really super accurate. Like I've looked at NMR data before when I was studying chemistry, and it really does feel very alchemical, like you're solving this logic puzzle. You've got all of these graphs that you're trying to figure out how these things correlate to each other. It's really one of those things where if we had a simpler method of identifying substances, we would be using it. But it's pretty much the only way to guarantee we can learn what we're actually working with. Mm -hmm. These NMR machines are much more expensive. One device costs about $1 million. They're basically these giant bells. They're kind of taller than a person and a few meters in diameter. And you get your sample, you put it in a liquid into a very small kind of pencil sized test tube and pop it in the top. And then it generates, again, these graphs for you and, and you use these graphs to figure out exactly what structure you're working with. Yeah. They used a couple of other techniques as well to get more data and learn a bit more about what it was. But the whole process, including the NMR in the lab, took a few weeks. And in the end, they were able to figure out exactly what it was. Okay, Ellen, the suspense is killing us. What was it? Ketamine, but not ketamine. Oh. So the person who brought it in thought that it might be ketamine, but the thing that they found was definitely not ketamine. So the actual name of the structure is 2-fluoro-2-oxo-PCE, which is extremely catchy, obviously. It's very similar in structure to ketamine, but there are a couple of key parts of the molecule that are different. Mm -hmm. The researchers actually think that it wasn't made from ketamine. They think that they started from scratch with different ingredients and produced something, probably used a similar method to making ketamine, but they, they didn't use ketamine at any point. Okay. And because the structure is different, the researchers 
don't know what the effects of this substance could be on the user. They don't know very much about the activity or the safety. The person who brought it in initially said that they had been told it was ketamine, but it did not have the same effects as ketamine, but they don't know any more detail than that really. So they've got this like not ketamine substance and they don't know the effects exactly, but like considering that this could potentially be lurking around in the community, to actually alert people about it, surely they're not calling it its chemical name. Like they did, did they come up with something else? So the researchers gave it a nickname. They called it CanCet, so Canberra Ketamine. Oh, that's cute, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of complicated. The researchers referred to it like this because, you know, it was simple and they thought it was a good way of identifying this new substance. But then they realized in contact with some advocacy groups that naming it that quickly and that easily can be a problem. It can stigmatize users of the substance or alternatively, it can be a draw card. Right. If people think, oh, this substance called CanCet, it's worth a try, that sort of thing, which given it's a completely new drug, they don't know what it's going to do to you. That's a very risky thing to do. Yeah. And also naming it after Canberra is a bit of an issue, much like we don't call it the Wuhan coronavirus. There are potential issues with using place names to name drugs. Sure. When I spoke to the researchers, they'd put out a press release saying CanCet um, and they were trying to walk it back a little bit. So they actually asked me if there were any other names we could use to refer to this drug. That would be great. Did you get to name it, Ellen? Uh, I suggested a few. They weren't accepted, unfortunately. Oh, a shame. You tried. Yeah, I tried. How often does this sort of thing happen? I mean, how often does a new substance like this pop up and then there are people who actually have to work to figure out exactly what it is? In general, it's relatively common that these new structures pop up. In Europe last year, which has a pretty good drug monitoring system, they identified 52 new compounds. So that's quite a few. That's sort of basically one a week. Mm. With all of the different techniques there are out there, there's a fairly well-established system in place for detecting these new substances. So it's not very surprising that we're seeing new stuff coming up like this. So this might be a basic question. What is the end goal with facilities like can test and you know pill testing at large? Pill testing operates on a harm reduction basis. So the primary aim is minimizing bad reactions and death. It's also worth pointing out that pill testing services consider that healthcare interaction really important. So if you're at a festival, say, you will often have a conversation with someone while your pill's being tested saying, do you know where to go for medical attention if you need it? But it's also worth noting that these pill testing clinics are really useful extra monitoring tool. They add a lot of extra information from other places tracking these drugs like law enforcement. And they really help us to better understand what substances are out there, mm -hmm. how frequent they are and where they're appearing. So, for instance, there have been about five or six other instances of CanCet turning up at CanTest since they identified that first one. So it can inform us a little more about how these drugs are operating and eventually what the effects are. They don't know in CanCet's case what the effects of using this drug would be, but they're sort of building up that clinical knowledge as well. Ellen Fidian is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Ellen's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. 
Also, if you're a fan of the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app to listen for free or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search The Science Briefing and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. Our executive producer is Carla Arnold. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.